This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It is hour two. We just got a two-hour tour today. Mariners pregame going to be coming at you. An hour from now, 9 o'clock, and then the Mariners try to pull off their second straight sweep of the Tampa Bay Rays. That's right. This Mariners team pulls itself up off the deck, lost 4 or 5. Now, eh, they come back. All they've done is won six straight against the defending American League champions this year. Right now, we got Michael Bumpus joining us for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready? Right. Now, here's your host. Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! Good morning, Bump. How are you now? Good morning, fellas. I'm doing well. Hey, man, I listened to that Trey Brown interview. I'm feeling this vibe, man. Me too. I'm Me feeling too. Trey Brown. I don't know what it was. Is it? Is it the subtle confidence of, like, yeah, I made some plays? Is it that he's not even slightly defensive about his height? Like where it's just like, yeah, dude, that's just the way it is, and I take it out on that receiver I go up against every Sunday. Man, he's confident. He knows who he is. He owns it, and he almost has like an old soul. It's like he's been here before. He don't yeah. sound like a rookie. I'm really excited. I think of all the rookies, I'm most excited about him. Bump, you've been out of training camp. What have you seen out of this new Shane Waldron offense now that we're a week in? We're weekend, right? That was the question. What is this offense going to look like? And what I'm seeing is a lot of bunch formations. I've seen a lot of two tight end sets, a lot of spacing concepts. So a spacing concept, especially out of the bunches where one guy hits the flat, one guy's five-yard hitch, other guy gets over the ball, forcing Russell Wilson to get the ball out of his hands quickly, which is something that we wanted. And I've also seen the tight ends being really active in the red zone. Kobe Parkinson has made a couple plays. Gerald, when he was out there, made a couple plays. So Titans are involved in this thing. Lots of bunch and shifting. All the things that we thought we were going to see, we're kind of just waiting to see if our dreams are going to come true. We're like, all right, well, this is what happened with the Rams. Is he going to bring that over to the Seattle Seahawks? That's what I've seen. Russell's getting the ball out quick, but he's still taking a shot. DK still had a 70-yard touchdown the other day. Um, I've seen Tyler Lockett get his 25, 30-yard crossing route. So we're seeing some of the things that we saw last year and in previous years, but Shane's putting his mark on this thing. I like what I see so far. Now, Bump, Paul was talking yesterday about seeing the emphasis on some quicker targets and wondering if maybe that's something that they're spending extra time working on. You pointed out they're still throwing the ball deep. Can can you see evidence of an increased emphasis on, on sort of quick timing passes? Yeah, Paul's on point, man. It, it's There's a lot more quick game involved, whereas last year there was a lot more play action, rollout, slower developing type stuff. Now it seems like the tempo is faster and even the shifts, usually the last couple of years when there is a shift, they kind of lollygag over to the other side of the formation. Now it's like, no, we're putting pressure on the defense right now. We're going to shift fast, get the ball out quickly. I like what I'm seeing. I think as camp goes along and as the preseason starts to get going, we're going to see them open it up and kind of stretch the field a bit more. But right now they're like, look, this is going to be the foundation. We got to be able to have a quick game. That's what they didn't have last year. That's what I was wondering about because, yeah, it does seem like it's come at the expense of looking downfield entirely. DK Metcalf really hasn't done a whole lot in the camps that I, the practices that I've been out at. But I, I'm not going to lie, every single time I see the Seahawks try to get the ball out to Tyler Lockett really quickly, man, it's 
It's looked great and practically automatic, and it's something that gets me really excited about what Lockett could potentially do this season, assuming he stays healthy through all 17 games now. 17 games is a lot, and with this quick game, you're going to allow your playmakers to make plays with their feet instead of just having to make the difficult catch all the time. And you're going to keep the ball. You're going to have possession because a five-yard out and a five-yard hitch, a slant, is just as good as a run. If you, you can complete that, you keep the, the play clock going, you keep the game clock going, and um, you march down the field. Big plays are going to come. There's going to be times when you need those big plays. But if you can go on a 12- to 15-play drive, man, your defense is going to love you. Question two. Bump, did no one ever tell your Lakers that Father Time is undefeated because they're signing a team that oh looks like gosh. it's going to be stocked up from 2007? Russell Westbrook, let's go! Hey, that's why I'm rocking my Laker head. I'm like, shoot, I'll be 36 this year. You guys need a, a, another guard? What's up, man? It, it, we're getting old. We're getting old, and I don't understand it. But yeah. um, Westbrook's going to be get... different this time. He's going to fit right in. Yeah, great teammate. <laughs> Dwight Howard. Ariza came back, right? And yep. now they added Mello. Mello, baby. <laughs> I didn't see they added Mello. They added Mello? Come on. Mello, yes. Oh, let's go. 2003 draft. Let's go. <laughs> Syracuse. That's true. Actual question here for the Seahawks. Who stood out on defense so far? On defense, right, we've been looking for DJ, see what he looks like. Witherspoon's made some plays. And seeing him in person, he looks long. He looks like the corner that we're used to seeing. But Demarius Randle, man, he's he's been making some plays, and that's a guy that you're going to need. He can play safety. He can play corner. Um, he had a good game against the Seahawks, I believe, in 2017 when he had a couple picks. He can help on special teams. You hear Pete Carroll talk about this guy. We know that Witherspoon's going to get his. It looks like it's his job to lose at this point. We know DJ's good. The safeties are good. But who's going to be that rotation guy? Is it going to be Marquise Blair, who I think is having a good camp so far as well? Is going to be Demarius Randall? There's a battle right now, and I love what Randall brings to the table. He's a veteran. He's confident. He has great feet. He attacks the football. There's a couple plays where he could have laid out receivers, man, but obviously it's cap. He's going to ease up and let these guys live. But I like what he's bringing to the table. I look at this defense and the, the sleeper right now. I don't think he's a sleeper anymore because we're talking about him. It's Demarius Randall. Yeah, he had a pick six against Russell Wilson on, on Monday, and yep. it was uh, it was pretty. And to see him still able to jump routes like that, yeah, that's, that's definitely a feather in his cap as far as the rest of training camp goes. I was trying to focus on the defensive line bump, and this is like one of those tricky times in camp where it's really difficult to determine what a successful pass rush win is and what isn't because you're never allowed to touch the quarterback. But what did you see out of the guys like Alden Smith, Daryl Taylor, interesting figures that we're not really 100% sure could bring to the table for the Seahawks? But if they do work out, I mean, that could be lottery tickets in both cases. Like you said, it's tough because they can't touch the red jersey, number three. But it seems like they've been in position a couple of times if they were to go full speed to get this guy. And that's all you're looking for. I was talking to Jen Mueller yesterday, and I go, man, it's all about quarterback hits for me. I understand we won a lot of sacks. They were, what, 47 sacks last year, were seventh in the NFL. That's cool. But if you can hit the quarterback while he's throwing the football, that's going to cause turnovers as well. Now, you want sacks because you're getting second and long, third and long. But I want quarterback hits. And I saw situations to where it looked like that could have been a quarterback hit. So it gets me excited. It's going to help out that secondary that was known to give up 340-yard passes like it was nothing last year. 
So I, I like what I'm seeing so far in the depth, man. There's so many bodies on that defensive line. I think the interior line needs to get beefed up a little bit, but on the edges, you got a bunch of guys in rotation. And they look healthy, they look fast, but we never really know because you better not touch number three. Or you might get cut like that kid from, what, New York? This kid from New York that got cut? Man, you don't don't touch these guys. Don't do it. What did you think of that fight with the Giants? Judge. So they Judge. get into a they, they get into a big brawl and then the quarterback ends up at the bottom of a yeah. pile. Yeah. And Joe Judge afterwards reads him the riot act. There's no way we do it. Even though everything I think that he's done over the course of his year plus there has led to the mentality that would produce a fight like that. Or or am I just being a big stick in the mud about this? Fights are going to happen. Yes. Maybe not with the Seahawks because their their vibe is a little different. But across the league, fights are going to happen. It's never good when your quarterback is at the bottom of that thing. The thing that tripped me out is you're going to make these grown men getting paid millions of dollars run sprints. This ain't high school, man. This ain't varsity blues. This ain't college. These are adults. You punish the people who are involved, and you leave everyone else out of it. You got to approach this thing a little different. But that's judge for you, man. He does he does some some interesting things over there. Is there any element of well, hey, if someone screws up and everyone has to participate in the punishments, where the teammates will hold said person accountable? Yeah, when you're 12. Okay. <laughs> no, they'll handle that in the locker room, man. These are men. They're gonna talk about it. You don't need to line them up, run some sprints. This is not. I'm telling you, man. It's not Friday Night Lights. Let these men be grown. One of my favorite memories of covering the Seahawks was they used to have this bubble over in Kirkland. It was gross. It was set up on the temporary field that was out there. They were at the back of Northwest University. Mm-hmm. Like it was a gross bubble. Yeah. And they're getting ready to play the playoffs the year they went to the Super Bowl against the Steelers. And Isaiah Kazavinsky, who's a great dude, I, I believe is now a doctor. Isaiah was a tryhard dude. He was someone that made uh, out of Harvard and had made, he'd been drafted and stuff. He knocked Sean Alexander where Alexander almost went into the bubble, like almost went to the side of the bubble. Sean Alexander's the NFL MVP that year. And I remember as they're walking out, like all of the offense is on Kasavinsky and especially the offensive line. And Steve Hutchinson just looks at him and says, you know what I think is awesome is when somebody threatens the league MVP at a practice. I think that's just really smart, sound football. And you could see Kazavinsky shrink. Like, you could visibly <laughs> see him shrink. And it wasn't about, like, go and run laps. It was like, you're an idiot. Yeah. Like, this is a business, and you're doing dumb stuff. Stop it. Exactly. They will handle it. Especially especially the, the O-line, D-line. Like, those are the enforcers on the team. Anything goes wrong, those guys are, are the security. They'll, they will kick you out the club. But no, no problem. Question number three. Okay. This was an interesting article, Michael Bumpus. Up on ESPN.com. ESPN ranked teams based off of the changes that took place this offseason. So we're talking about things like free agent signings, trade acquisitions, draft selections, long-term injuries, retirement. It's not based off of who did well or did poorly in the offseason. It's just based off of the actual change itself. But ESPN ranked the Seattle Seahawks 28th among all 32 teams in terms of net change from the end of last season to now, which is surprising. They got a new offensive coordinator. They got Gabe Jackson in. They lost Shaquille Griffin. They lost KJ Wright, at least for now. There have been some changes made. Uh, 28th amongst NFL teams was surprising to me. Do do you feel like they are largely the same as they were last year? No, I don't. You got a new coordinator. You got a new offensive lineman. You got a new tight end. um, You got a new corner, a spot that you needed to fill. I think that 
they've made moves, but they just haven't been big, right? They didn't get Gilmore. They didn't get Julio Jones. Like, they were attached to a lot of big names, a couple guys on the line that they didn't get. So um, I think they don't have the wow factor. So that's what they're missing. They're like, look, there's no big name over there that's going to change the game. To the outside looking in. Now to us, we've seen this offense kind of flutter out late in the season and in the playoffs. We've seen tight end play go down. We've seen our corners get beat deep and sign a guy who didn't really get to play in Quentin Dunbar last year. So to us, we're like, okay, they're making the necessary moves to the league. They're like, okay, where's the big name? I think that's where it falls into. This team has changed a lot. You look at the offense, it's changed a lot. But the NFL just doesn't respect it. You know, I'm pretty sure what – where are the Titans at? You sign Julio Jones, I'm sure the, the Titans are, are – First, top half of the league when it comes to making those changes. Um, you know, that's Seattle, though, man. That, that's being in the Northwest. You're going to get overlooked. You just got to get used to that. That's how it is up here. I do think they've changed. And I think maybe it's because it's not the quarterback and it's not a running back and it's not a wide receiver and they didn't bring in a top-tier pass rusher. But Gabe Jackson's one of the biggest additions they've made on the offensive line. Like, he ranks up there with Dwayne Brown, and we saw how important Dwayne Brown turned out to be. I, I think because of the circumstances of it, that it's kind of getting overlooked how, how much they actually have have changed. And our offensive coordinator, that's going to be a huge difference in, in what this team is able to do this year. You think about it, Danny. O-line made some changes. D-line made some changes. At the linebacker spot, there's a passing of the guard. You got Jordan Brooks stepping up here. You got Daryl Taylor making that move there. You got to change out the corner position. You draft a receiver. You're not going to do anything at quarterback. I mean, they hit all the hot spots, man. I'm good. I'm good with where they're at. I'm perfectly fine with it, and I think they'll be good this year. That is Blue 42. Our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We talked to Trey Brown a little bit ago. We'll have more from training camp all day later today after the Mariners play. Mariners pregame, we got a little day baseball, a little morning baseball, mm. a little eye-opener for you. Pregame's going to start at 9 o'clock. First pitch is at 10 o'clock. The Mariners with a chance to sweep the Tampa Bay Rays for the second time this season. We've talked and started the show by commenting on the Mariners' resilience, and I don't think that's a question anymore. It's a statement. The Mariners are resilient. They went through a stretch earlier this year. What they got swept at home by a bad Tigers team, including getting no hit. They lost that three game series in San Diego as part of another losing skid, in which they were just drubbed by the Padres. The Padres outscored them like thirty one to seven over the course of those three games. In, in that case, they they got themselves up. They dusted themselves off. This time, it's it's not just losing four or five, but the fact that Kendall Graveman was traded and it seemed like the the team reacted poorly. They've now after losing two gut-wrenching games to a bad Texas team to start this road trip. They've won two in a row against the defending American League champs. What When you have a team that's resilient, what are the traits of a resilient team? What makes a team resilient, Bob? The the key word you hear athletes say all the time, adversity, right? Mm-hmm. You got to go through adversity, but that's real. It, when's the last time we, we thought of New England as being resilient? That one Super Bowl when they came back against the Falcons. But other than that, it's like, all right, this is just what they do. This is how they work. This is how they operate. Like, you think of resilient when you think of teams who do things that they're not expected to do. De- teams that are beat up and they, they find a way to win. And that's what we see out of the Mariners. I mean, you lose two to the Rangers, then you bounce back and win two against the Rays. I mean, there is some resiliency there. There is some conversation that goes on. There's a mentality that's in that ball club that allows them to kind of flush things and keep on going. Some teams get knocked down and stay down. 
And there's nothing you can do. There's no speech you can say. There's no moves you can make. It's just part of that team's DNA. To whereas with this Mariners team, they find a way to make us believe, right? We'll get down again. We believe again. That's just part of being resilient. You got to be able to stand up after you get knocked down. Aren't the teams, though, that are able to consistently do things year to year, week to week, it's almost an expectation? They have to be resilient, too. And that's interesting. I feel like you can be resilient without facing, I guess, the same kind of adversity. It's just you're not necessarily being tested as much. I think you, great teams are resilient within the game because they, they could be down and have a slow start that and then they, they find their way out of it. So whereas bad teams are resilient when they just get beat up and they go on, on these losing streaks. So, yeah, I'm with you. There's different types. Uh, with the best teams, it's within the game. They find a way to win. It's such a – it's kind of the secret sauce of sports. And – where you have a team, because we've all seen them when a team turtles. Like when a team, they, they get down and that, that team just doesn't, whether it's their spirits broken or, or they're, just, they're just not able, they kind of check out. You see body language I, experts come into the play too. Yeah. And, and those sort of things. Like I do think we tend to read too much into body language, but then there's times where I've, where I've watched it and you're like, oh, this team's done. Like this team's this team's absolutely cooked, and it is. And I, is that a reflection on how the players feel about the franchise? Like I've always thought that comes into it. And one of the reasons that I thought rebuilds can be a really bad idea is that when you teach a roster that it's okay to lose, you kind of you kind of generate that idea. If the players on the roster think these guys are okay, the front office is okay with taking L's. Why should I care that much? Why should I care more than they care about the on-field result? That you can, you can kind of breathe loser juice. Like you just you you become you become a team that becomes accustomed. I think the Philadelphia 76ers have a little bit of that right now. I think they're still dealing with that, even though that GM is gone and trust the process, Sam Hankey and all of that. That when when you go through an extended process where you don't value winning, that it, that there's a longer hangover, but. That's not as, as simple as it either because we've seen teams that have Houston, the Astros. I mean, they went through – it's self-induced, but they've been hated around the league, and they haven't collapsed. They almost got to the World Series last year. They're still a good team this year. I, I'm not sure what it is that you get where you all of a sudden got a team that's got that will that can't be broken even when you have a, a series of tough things, even when you have adversity strike. It's it's management, man. Yeah, because they're the ones sending the message with their moves and um, how they're they're treating these guys. You know what I mean? Like the Jets got loser juice over there. It just yeah, they they yes. got loser juice. That and it, it ain't going away. It ain't gonna go away this year. <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna go away next year, but it starts up top because these players are watching the moves that you're making, and that that's what was scary about the Mariners. We're like, oh man, like are they giving up? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The the team should be okay in the long run, but in the short term, right now, it, the players might have been like, "What are we doing, man? Are we trying to win right now? Are we trying to win next year?" So I think a lot of that falls on the moves that management makes, and then the communication that they have with their leaders. And some of those leaders that you see with Scott Service right now, maybe manager of the year. When you're looking, I guess for I don't know someone to steady things in the midst of this bump, are you looking or expecting more out of a coach or out of a player? Man, that's a good question. I would say out of a player when it comes to like in the field in the trenches type stuff. The 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 best player and the head coach and management have to be on the same page. There has to be some type of communication. But end of the day. Guys are gonna look at their leader. They're gonna look at the people upstairs. Like, man, you're not you're not shooting with me in the gym. You know what I mean? You're you're at home living comfy. Like we're the ones grinding this thing out. So it has to fall. A lot of the responsibility falls on the players. And 
service where he's managing because I agree it does it ultimately it's up to those guys and Scott has been pretty consistent in saying the game is for the players like it's there we're here to facilitate them we're here to get them and put them in the best positions we can to win but ultimately it comes down to they're the show it's the 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 franchise depends upon upon those guys having the opportunity and it's about the players he does have to be that sort of middleman though of like hey I know you guys are mad that Kendall Graveman's gone I, I know that. And then kind of try to sell it, but you can't lay it on too thick. You can't say, like, we're absolutely better than we were yesterday when people are sitting there looking at it. Well, you were just telling us how big a deal it was, how we feel about each other. I think he's done a really good job of kind of navigating that middle where he's he, he's not the one making the decisions on the roster, but he's the one that kind of has to relay the decisions to the roster. He's done a good job of keeping them on track through – they've had an um, a, a president – who was caught in a candid camera moment with a breakfast club. They, they've, they've also had injuries to their starting staff. Like, it hasn't been an easy year for them in terms of injuries, especially to their starting pitchers. And now you have a trade that didn't go over well with at least some chunk of, of the clubhouse. And yet, here that team is. They're still fighting, and they're a win away from sweeping the defending AL champs for the second straight series this year. His job is to keep them optimistic, right? Got to yeah. keep him optimistic. Like, look, this is the right move for us. And I remember he came on. It might have been your you guys' show. He came on and said, I'm surprised with the reaction. You know, I, I think this is a good trade. You know, I, I think this is going to make us better. I understand why people, you know, will want to keep this guy. But trust me, this is the right move. He's a spokesman. He has to come out and instill confidence in his players, the organization, and us. Because if not, you know, things are going to get a little shaky. So I think he's done a good job. I didn't agree with the move at the time. But after listening to him and he comes on this show every week and talks to you guys, kind of explains things, then it made me feel a little better. I'm like, cool, I got some insight now. I know I know what you're thinking. I might not agree with it, but at least I know that there's a method to this madness. The results have certainly helped, too. I mean, Abraham yeah. Toro's come over, and the guy just keeps clobbering home mm-hmm. runs. And then on top of that, Diego Castillo, he comes in in a high-leverage situation, and while there was a walk, I mean, he, he gets the, the Mariners out of the ninth and uh, – on to the next one, and now they might be able to season sweep the Tampa Bay Rays. 7-0, and that would be something else. Which Seahawk do you think is going to take the greatest leap forward this year? Last season was DK Metcalf. Maybe we name the award after him or try to find one. My answer is going to be surprising because it's somebody that's already a star. That's next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We are taking you around the diamond thanks to Shane Company, your friend in the jewelry business. Logan Gilbert takes the mound this morning for the Mariners. They wrap up their three-game series against the Rays, an opportunity to sweep them for the second time this season. Pre-game starts at 9 a.m. First pitch coming your way at 10 a.m., a little Breakfast baseball or brunch baseball here on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Seahawks training camp also underway. Candidates for the great leap forward. I always like to do this each year where you list guys that you think might take that step from being someone who's a contributor, even a starter, to being a star. Who's going to be the most improved? Because usually that goes a long way to determining whether or not your team exceeds or meets or falls short of expectations, that you get a couple guys that step up and take significant steps forward. I think last year's winner would be DK Metcalf, right? Like he came in, everybody thought he was going to be a star. And by the end of the year, you're like, this guy's one of the most 
A, he's got more receiving yards than any receiver in franchise history. He breaks that record. But he's one of the most explosive big play threats in the entire league. And he's just fun, too. You know, just a, He's a star. He's a legit yeah. star. Like, DK Metcalf is one of this league's stars right now. He's playing in the softball game. Yeah. He's running at the U.S. Olympic track track trials. Like, those things. Like, DK Metcalf became a star last he's year. He's got a Gatorade commercial. It's official. He's a star. My kids can identify who he is. My eight-year-old knows who DK Metcalf is. He's legit. Who's going to take the great leap forward this year? Candidates would be Jordan Brooks. It's... That was my pick, Jordan Brooks. It's going to be his show now. He had 35 tackles last year. I think he's going to bump up to around 70, 80 tackles. I mean, when you think about this Seahawks defense over the past couple years, it's been Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. Don't look like K.J. Wright is going to show up anytime soon. So it's on Jordan Brooks, and he has a knack. man. When when he identifies a football play, he shoots that gap and flies in there like a missile and tries to blow dudes up. I think that's what this defense has been missing at the LB spot. Bobby's still Bobby, one of the best in the game, but he's just a smarter, savvy veteran now. He's like, look, man, young fella, go make those plays. I'll scrape the line and make this tackle here. You go be the missile. Jordan Brooks, man, I, I really believe that he's going to take a great leap forward this year. We're going to see more Jordan Brooks jerseys in the stands. Definitely heard his name getting chanted a lot. That would have probably been my answer. I'm, I'm going to go a little unconventional here, and, and I'm going to look at two different guys, and it's mainly based off of just having been there for a couple of days. And I don't know if they're going to become stars, Danny, so maybe, maybe this doesn't quite qualify, but – I really liked what I saw out of both Gabe Jackson and Damian Lewis in those one-on-one drills yesterday. Mm-hmm. I felt both of them showed that the interior of the offensive line is pretty good. I, I think Lewis, if, if he can take another step forward, man, that's going to be so big against teams like L.A. And also, you know, he's he's getting a lot of opportunities in the year one to year two jump bump. You you know You know how it goes. Freddie Swain, man. Yes. Freddie Swain is is getting lots of reps. You can see just the way that other players are talking to him out there, too. Like, I, I constantly see Quandre Diggs going over to him and talking to him. So I feel like there's some defensive respect there, too. I might be reading too much into it, but I, I feel like there's some legit excitement around Freddie. And, Bump, you, you highlighted that on Monday with me. Yeah. No, I think Freddie... Even the way he carries himself now, he don't seem like a, a timid young fella out there. He's running with the ones. And, yes, once Eskridge gets back, he's going to bite into those reps. But now is Freddie's chance to be like, look, don't forget about me. I had 13 catches, two touchdowns last year. When you needed me, I was there for you. I, he has good run after the catch. He's good on special teams as well if you need him there. I think Freddie has an opportunity here. I'm glad you pointed him out, Paul. What does Freddie do well? Like what? Why? What in his skill set gives him a chance to to take that step forward? One, he's fast. He's faster. I don't know what his forty time was. I don't think it was very fast, but he's football fast. There are some guys who can run in a straight line on the forty fast, but then there are guys who play the game fast. So that's one. Two, he can play any position. Last year, Pete Carroll said that. This year, I've seen him move around as well. So he's he's dependable. I remember, man. Uh, Nap, when Nap was here, rest in peace. Um, I, there was a bus, man. I jacked up a play. And from there, I'm like, dang, Nap's never going to trust me again. And he gave me another opportunity to get this thing going. But when you are a later draft pick or you're an undrafted free agent, you cannot have any mental errors. And I never see Freddie Swain look like he's in the wrong, wrong spot at the wrong time. So he's, he plays fast, he's dependable, and then he catches the football. I, I haven't seen him drop any footballs this year either. It's interesting because he fits that that spot. Seattle's They've had the ability, and if 
One thing they've done at wide receiver is get guys who aren't the biggest, aren't the fastest, but they're stronger than the guys that, that are faster than them. They're faster than the guys. It's kind of that David Moore where you're like, hey, what's David Moore's strength as a play? Well, he was great in jump ball situations, like, but he wasn't the biggest dude and he, he wasn't the fastest dude out there, but he put himself in position to make plays. If there's one trait seen the Seahawks miss. We know that when they draft a wide receiver in the fourth round, that usually doesn't lead to huge breakthrough successes. They've, they, that hasn't always worked, but they, they have been able to hit with that type of guy where it just comes out and you're like, I'm, I can't tell you exactly what he's doing other than he's fast enough and he's strong enough. And man, he, he puts himself in position to, to take advantage of the opportunities he gets. Take advantage. The number three, number four receiver on the football team, you're probably going to get 20 targets in a year. And a lot of the times it's crucial because they're going to draw plays where teams are sleeping on you. All right, They're keying in on Lockett. They're keying in on DK. Now we need you on this third down. All week we've been gearing you up for this one play. Can you make that play? And once you start making those plays like David Moore started to make, then you start. they start looking for you now. Like They started throwing screens to Demo all day. Like, okay, you can make some plays. Let's get you the rock. That's what Freddie has to do. Just cast a rock when it comes your way. Be where you're supposed to be and be on time. Danny, my who? Pick for, yeah, my sorry pick about for that. the guy that's going to take the the greatest leap forward is Jamal Adams. Ah, and that's interesting. Nine and a half slight. sacks last year. He did. He's great. He's been an All Pro. But listening to this from Ken Norton made me realize that we haven't gotten a full view of what Jamal Adams is going to be able to do in this defense through reasons that are not Jamal's fault at all. Here's Ken Norton. He came into a new situation last year, didn't know a lot of the defenses, kind of learned it really fast. We've had an offseason with him now, and uh, he's been able to learn all the coverages at a slow pace because he hasn't been out there. So you'll see more of a balanced guy. He's not just... You know, not just a blitzer. You'll see a blitzer as well as a cover guy, a guy as well as a guy that's able to play both sides. So he will certainly uh, be more well-rounded. He mm. dropped some picks last year. He did. Didn't have any. Had a busted yeah. hand. Uh, so maybe. Correct. And then a jacked-up shoulder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Like all these different things that he was dealing with. I think he. I think he's going to be a defensive player of the year candidate this year. Mm. Let's go. I, I, I think he's going to be someone that takes that step forward from he's a good safety but – and people will talk about the coverage and does he do enough downfield? The oh, all of the he's a he's a box safety. And I, I I think that's going away. I think he's going to be one of the best defensive players in the league this year because I think you're going to see more production in his pass coverage because he's not just going to be used as a blitzer. Man, I hope you are right. If he can come up with three or four picks this year, three or four picks, five or six sacks, and just cause havoc like he does, man, I'm with you and. Um, I think that's his next step, right? That's the the great part about Jamal Adams. He's great right now, but there's a, a, a piece in his game that we're waiting to see develop. This could be the year. I hope you're right, Danny. It is Danny and Gallant. Michael Bump is here for one more segment around the diamond brought to you by the Shane Company. We've got Mariners pregame. That's coming up at the top of the hour. And all eyes going to continue to be on Jared Kelnick. We'll explain why next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I admit it. I'm waiting each and every time Jared Kelnick gets to the plate. I'm thinking to myself, is this it? Is this when we're going to see it? Is the tear going to start here? And apparently, I'm not the only one watching. It's Danny and Gallant. Michael Bump is here. One more segment before we turn it over to the Mariners pregame show for Breakfast Baseball. 
But here is Scott Service talking about his young center fielder yesterday who's he's now hitting a buck 46. Buck 46, it's coming up. Not respectable yet. Not respectable. But improving. It's on the way up. Here's the skipper. I'm still looking for him to get hot. I'm talking about one of those hot streaks where you run off, you know, you're 8 for 12 and hit about three home runs in that stretch because I know he's got that in him. Um, but I'm really encouraged by the quality of his at-bats and, and how he's handled things. He's just much calmer, grinding through it, realizing he need to make adjustments. Like, he's doing all the things you'd hope he'd do. And uh, he's going to hit that hot streak. Uh, I guarantee it. You've been putting those positive vibes out there, Danny. So now you got some confirmation from the skip. It might be wishful thinking on my part. It What's really wrong might. with wishful thinking? No, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just I like to be a realist, but I, I do. What Scott said is exactly how I feel about Jared. And each time he comes up, I'm kind of thinking, like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time when it starts. What have you thought watching him bump? I'm, you know, I was I was hot early. I'm like, here yeah. it is. He's the savior. But now, you know, baseball humbles you. Yes, and it, it, does. it humbled me, too, because I'm like, okay, I need to calm down. Um, I like his approach at the plate. He seems like he's a lot more calm, a lot more patient. He's not stressed out out there. I think I heard one of you guys say in one of these shows that there's less movement in the box before the pitch is thrown, right? And I think that may that may have been nervous energy earlier, right? Him swaying back and forth. and But, you know, I've I seen Sheffield have the most movement I've ever seen before the ball was thrown to him. So I don't know, man. I'm, I'm okay with where he's at right now. I'm okay where he's at. He's not striking out every time he's up there. Um, he's getting on base. He's taking some walks. I mean, I've never been more excited about a guy who got walked ever in my life. I'm like, boom, he's on base. Okay. He's not failing. I just don't want this young man to keep failing. I want him to have that confidence as opposed to seeing the occasional rage fits from him, but maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, there was a headline about how Tom Brady had a giant temper tantrum at Bucks practice at age, what, 43, 44 <laughs> the other day, and he was not letting the team go inside, and there's lightning outside. He's like, yeah, we can still practice. But there was a moment, this was after Kelnick's home run. This was where he, I think, had struck out, and he was just so, I don't know, there's this confident air that he had about him with, with the umpire, even though there was a, definitely a right, correctly called third strike. The way that he carried himself afterwards, where he's like, no, no. I, I kind of like seeing that air coming back well, out of him. Well, you've seen there are some signs that he's coming around. He's striking out less. He has been hitting the ball harder. And, well, last night he did clobber a home run. Here, here, was, here was one of the two solo shots from the Mariners, Abraham Toro, and then it was followed by this one from Kelnick. Here's the pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball into deep center field. Margot going back, looking up, and goodbye baseball Jerry Kelnick with his fourth home run of the season. Straight away center. Holy smokes, and it's now the Mariners three and the Rays one. Way to go, kid. Abraham Toro. Jared Kellnick in that inning, I think each smoked at exit velocity, 105 miles an hour. And as I heard it come out, the, the, the little audio track that I hear in the back of my head comes from NBA Jam. He's heating up. It's all I think to myself. <laughs> and whether that's there's other evidence, it was the only hit he had last night. I just think, okay, here it comes. Here comes the tear. All right, so when, when do we get? He's on fire. What does he have to do to get on fire? He's got to go like... Five for 12, maybe seven for 12. He's got to have a series where where you start to look at it, and each time he comes up, you're like, it's a 50-50 chance he's going to get a hit. Yeah. Like, or you, you start to feel, as opposed to now, There's part. I feel excitement when he homers. I also feel relief. 
Like I feel ex- excitement when he has a base hit. I also feel a big part of relief. It becomes that like, yeah, I hope he does come up. Like don't don't let Jared Kelnick get to the plate this inning. Kind of that that expectation. That's the sort of feeling when you know he's hot. I'm jealous that you guys had NBA Jam because for me it was NBA <laughs> Showtime. We we had yeah. that at the arcade and it was also on the N64. But NBA Jam seems like it was a little bit better. And I mainly say this because I'm pretty sure the Celtics were just absolutely wretched. It was like Cha- Chauncey Billups and Ron Mercer or something like that. It's like the, <laughs> the best two players. It might have been pre Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker even. Yeah, Duncan you didn't from you... dunking from half court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Just set it up and make it. It was a great game, and just because then when you got you you got the guy on fire, all of a sudden he is nuts. I I do I do feel like Kelnick is going to have that opportunity. Toro's batting average, and he's at second today. And looking at the lineup, Paul, you said that Luis Torrens is playing, playing third. third. Right, Seager's going to be designated hitter today. And I saw an update from Shannon Dreyer saying that when Torrens was drafted by the Yankees. Uh, he had never played catcher before. He had been a shortstop b- before that moment in, in pro baseball. So we'll see exactly how, how their lineup shakes out. But you do have and Scott Service saying this is this is the longest lineup he's had. They've got some depth there. You are starting to see that show through. And we're at the point where a week or two from now, hopefully we're going to see Kyle Seeger getting or Kyle Lewis getting back, put him in the outfield to get some more bats. But I think a big part of this playoff push and how real the playoff push becomes for Seattle, which is two games behind the A's, it, you're, you're going to have to have somebody like Kelnick get hot. You're going to have to have somebody that really has not carried. It's going to have to be more than the Mitch Hanniger, Ty France, and Abraham Toro being hot. So you're going you're gonna to need some more guys who aren't just hitting competently but being doing damage up at the plate. Yeah, you need those foundation players. And what about Kyle Lewis when he gets back? You know, what kind of what kind of impact is he going to have on this team as well? That's who you need as well. You need Kelnick to do his thing, and then you need another spark. If Kyle Lewis can tap into any type of that special season he had last year, man, watch out. But you know what? I'm going to simmer down game by game. I'm not going to get too hyped because you know how this thing goes, man. But I'm rooting for him still. I love him. I am so up and down with this team all the time, (laughs) and I'm just totally admitting it because I realize at times it is a little bit irrational the way that I get after one or two games or something like that. But there's only up to go for some of these guys. You know, for Kalanick, I mean, it's been so rough to open things up. Maybe not of late, but he can only get better. You would assume that Kyle Lewis coming back, which actually gives the Mariners a difficult decision to make in the outfield. Yeah. Who do they mm-hmm. who do they keep playing? You know, with Jake Fraley playing the way that he's been playing too. You would assume that like any contributions from some of these guys, just just any, should be able to get this team a little bit further than where they're at right now. And it is crazy to say that with with Kelnick coming up struggling, he was nowhere close to the shot in the arm that the Mariners thought that they were getting when they probably looked at themselves in the mirror and were thinking, you know. We're having some issues right now. This is going to be the guy that fixes it. And he didn't. He didn't fix them. They, they fixed them themselves. The way that they've been able to respond to adversity throughout the season is something that you can't take for granted. And and maybe it shows their recent run of success when in these two games in Tampa, and we'll see how they respond today when they, they take on the Rays and then go to New York in what is really a pretty, pretty pivotal stretch of their season. It's been a priv- pretty pivotal two weeks of their season, and it's been sandwiched around a trade that did did a lot, kind of tested tested the resilience of this team in some ways, like really tested and see is are, are the Mariners going to be able to to withstand sort of a feeling that, hey, we didn't get the help that we wanted 
Abraham Toro's productivity has to contribute to that, right? Like, it's hard to say, oh, I don't know what they were doing when the dude is in the big leagues yeah. and he's produced. Like, it's it's hard to feel. And when Diego Castillo is closing games, that's why I thought those two losses in Texas were so tough because it was on the bullpen. And that was the thing you disrupted and not removed the... But, man, it's gone a long way in these two games. They This, this team has the ability to hang around. I, I think they're done with feeling sorry for themselves now. It's like you have to go through the emotion. You're a human being. You had a connection to Graven. Yeah, it, that all makes sense, but it's a long season, and you're in the hunt. It's not like you are at the bottom of the barrel. There's yeah, you, you stand no chance. You're really looking forward to next year. You are in the wild card chase right now. So I think the leader stood up. All right, you shake it off. All right, we grieve. Now let's move on. Let's play some good ball. And the guys who they brought in are producing. It's not like they're bums out there not getting it done. Want to thank Trey Brown for joining us, DJ Wilder, who was on the board, John Clayton for the morning drive. We've got Mariner baseball coming to you next from Tampa Bay. Let's see if they can break out the brooms.